0: Hi, welcome to the why and the what. Product Management Podcast. I'm Daniel Kahn. Today, I got to speak with Jess Gottfried from Universe, a ticket master company. We got to speak about the way Jess manages her product team over at Universe, as well as the kinds of tools that they use to ensure that they're extremely data-driven in their product decision-making. I really enjoyed chatting with Jess. She had some great insights into the way to put together a data-driven practice, and I hope that you'll enjoy the conversation. Hey, Jess. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, thanks. How are you?
0: Yeah, doing very well. I'm um, looking forward to chatting. Um, so, I understand you are the uh, the director of uh, product and data at Universe. Um, why don't you kick it off by telling us a little bit about uh, what Universe is as a uh, company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Universe um, is a ticketing company. We were founded in Toronto in 2011 and um, we were actually acquired by Live Nation Entertainment in 2015. Um, so we've got offices in a couple of different cities, um, but the, the belly of the beast of what we do is is really trying to connect people to experiences. So, you know, we, we service everyone from a DIY client who making, you know, a repetitive, um, cooking class or, or wants to throw a birthday party and maybe sell tickets and, and raise some money. Um, so we service, um, every client from, from a small mom and pop like that all the way up to some, some larger events, um, sort of around the world.
0: Cool. Okay. That's a, a nice variety of, um, different kinds of use cases that you, you cover there. Yeah, um,
1: absolutely. Lots of different users.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm sure that's uh, both interesting and uh, a challenge to make sure that you're you're continuing to to serve a all that that broad of a set. So your role there is um, interesting. So you're you're director of product, but you've also got the uh, the title of data in the mix. There, director of uh, product and data. Um, what is um, sort of in scope for you? What are what are you responsible for there and uh, what does your team look like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So when I first joined here at Universe, I was actually hired as a product manager. Um, my background is more math-based. So uh, by default, I have quite an interest in, in data analytics and answering problems or, or solving debates, if you will, um, with data. So when I first joined the company, Um, I was really passionate and wanted to instill a a data-driven sort of model, both on a product side, but also from a design perspective and kind of change how we think about our users. Um, So throughout the the past year and a bit, um, we did quite a lot of changes, both on a behavioral data tracking standpoint, so like things like Google Analytics or Amplitude, Um, a lot of work in that area and then also a lot of work um, in our database system of how we're tracking that data and how we think about metrics. Um, So when I moved into my new role, it's sort of a a crossover whereby I'm still managing a team of of product managers who, um, you know, do general product manager-y things um, and also manage sort of a side team that uh, works really closely with our platform team, um, working through our, our data infrastructure and how we think about data um, and how that data gets communicated both internally to the company and also um, externally, so to clients and, and fans and stuff.
0: What were the, um, the challenges with the, the data that uh, Universe was recognizing that led you to come into this role with the, the goal of uh, reorganizing that data and what were you, what were you hoping to get out of that, uh, that data reorganization?
1: Yeah. So I don't think it was more, I don't think it was the case of a, of a problem with the data. It was, um, I think, just a lack of of resourcing to actually be looking into that data and and drawing conclusions from it. So um, we don't have sort of an in-house data analyst or or data scientist. So I sort of took on that role, um, hoping to and to arm our product managers with the tools to be able to know whether their um, their product feature that they're shipping is is doing well from a data perspective, but also to enable our team just to to be thinking about data in general um, and what that means for our business. So not so much of a problem, more um, an amplification, if you will.
0: That's a, a nice way to put it. It's um it's it's there and making sure that it's actually being leverage in a a valuable way and putting the right resources against that certainly, certainly makes sense. Um, With the, um, the product management team, um, how is it that they're leveraging that data now in their, um, their product management practice?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So we've hooked up to a number of, of front end tools that enable sort of self-serve data analysis. So for those who maybe don't write SQL, um, we've given them tools to be able to sort of plug and play. So if you're working on a on a feature, you now have access to be able to to drag and drop your data to be able to make sort of a dashboard for your team to say, hey, we just shipped, you know, feature ABC. Here's how it's doing. Here's how it's doing a week later. Here's a month down the road. Um, and those PMs are also using that, that data in sort of what we have once a month, our all hands meeting to sort of, um, show these metrics to to the whole org. Um, so it's, it's part, just sort of become un- ingrained into their general product management uh, process.
0: Would you say that that's um, one of the biggest drivers on uh, where you're figuring out what the prioritization is on uh, features? Is that typically where you start? Do you look at data as step one or are you getting uh feature requests from users and then prioritizing them through data at what point do you start to actually look into um the database and the various tools that you have to drive that process
1: um i would say it's a little bit from columns a b and c <laughs> that you just mentioned um, data is def- definitely um a strong driver and something that can can make a case for why something is or isn't working um, but on the flip side, you know, you you've always got um, customers, which is you know the heart of product management, and, and should be guiding what you're building. We also have a sales team who is seeing sort of um, those larger clients um, that also have sort of a different set of needs. Um, so it's it's really a a waiting game quite often to to determine okay, here are here's a set of feature requests coming in from sales. Here's a set of feature requests. Coming in from our you know, customer support team. Here's a set of features that we think would be interesting from based on what the data is showing us. And here's our, our product goals and, and themes, and how do these all fit together and what's going to help us move the needle the most. And I guess where the, the data portion comes back regardless is when you're defining how what moves the needle the most. Um, it's usually a, a combination of both qualitative and quantitative. Uh, data analysis.
0: And you mentioned a little bit about um, validation of the, uh, the, the the changes that the team is making after uh, something actually goes live. Uh, what does the uh, the process look like for actually tracking a new feature to make sure it is doing um, what it is that you want it to do and seeing that impact?
1: Yeah, so it, it kind of depends on the feature, but I'll give sort of a, a rudimentary example just for, for this purpose. <laughs> um, but let's say we're, we're making some changes to a landing page and we're adding some more CTAs or we're changing the copy. Um, that team will typically um, implement some, like, some behavioral tracking. For us, um, it's mostly done through Amplitude. Um, so we'll put some behavioral tracking on the various CTAs or conversion metrics that we're hoping that this new update um, accomplishes. Um, and once those are in place, we'll get a baseline for where we're at now. Um, and then when we ship, whether it's by an A B test or if it's just a, a change to an iteration, um, we'll look at those same metrics over time to make sure that if we're trying to increase signups, for example, that that change did in fact increase uh, the conversion of that action. Um, that's sort of a, a pretty small example, but we follow the same type of pattern for uh, most, if not all, of the features that we release.
0: Have you found there have been um, any regular challenges um, around tracking features and um, have you found ways to deal with uh, specific challenges? What's what's sort of the uh, the regular things you're on the lookout for as you're putting a test together to uh, ensure that something is going to be successful or at least come to a uh, result that you have confidence in?
1: yeah so the the funny thing about that is is I don't think that there's a hard requirement that every test is successful. Um, I think learning about shipping something small, obviously, um learning about something small that you shipped that didn't go well is just as valuable um, as shipping something that that did. so it's it's sort of that you know break fast model um better to to learn that you've done something not so good um, much much faster than you know a 6 month or 8 month project and learning that uh, that that didn't go so well. Um so from a I wouldn't say it's really a challenge. It's it's all I think how you look at it. I think if we as as product humans expect that every every hypothesis and every small iteration that we ship is going to be a successful one, um we'll be sadly mistaken <laughs> in the real world.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh that's fair. Um so if you're seeing that tests fail and you're or not necessarily fail from a uh, the test is successful, the test is successful. If you've got a uh, a result that you're confident, in, whether whether that result is uh, positive or negative, um, you've got some feature that you put out there. Um, are you doing this in the context of a, a beta program or from the perspective of the the end users? Is this just a new feature that they saw for a little while and then? Disappeared off of their their radar. The next time they were in the system, how's that all communicated uh, from a user perspective?
1: Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question, and I would I would say it also. I, I keep answering everything with it depends, but it does um, depends on on the on the feature itself. There are definitely certain things that you can um, do on a slow rollout and release to a smaller proportion of people and see how that works. Um, there are. There's also a case to be made, um, depending on the volume of your of your website or, or your app, um, to get statistically significant results requires um, a certain amount of people to be walking through this alternate flow, right? So if on a daily basis you're getting you know low hundreds of people on your website and you release this to 50% of your people, that test is going to have to run for. For months <laughs> for it to be statistically significant. So it's it's really, um, you really have to, to think about it from the user perspective and put yourself in their shoes and say, okay, if there's a feature that's out there and they're not so sure about it and it's in beta, does that, do, does that cause the user to still have trust in that feature? If it's in beta, do you by default think, oh, maybe it doesn't work fully. So maybe I don't want to use it yet. Are you skewing results as a result of putting like a visual beta flag and if you are going to roll it out to all users, it's just important to have sort of not a backup plan, but a a plan of action of how you're going to communicate this. If, if it does in fact prove to, to not be what you want and you do have to roll back Um, having those plans in place, I think is really important.
0: And when the, um, and I, I think probably the answer will be, it depends again, but that, that <laughs> works for me. <laughs> I'll try not to. Um, no, well, that's, it's fine. <laughs> um, so if, if you're putting a, a feature out and you only want it turned on to a certain number of users, um, is there a platform that your team is currently using to manage that rollout to a, a subset? Or is it literally your developers are putting flags into the system that you're able to turn off and on, on, on accounts or some other identifier?
1: Yeah. So in the past we've used optimizely in certain cases, um, a previous organization that I was with, and we had just more um, organic volume going through various flows at a specific moment in time. So, um, we used optimizely um, there a little bit more. Um, I've also seen a lot of success Success um, actually happen with um, backend rollout flags. Um, the good thing about that is you can um, send those flags through to your behavioral tracking tool, so to Amplitude, for example, um, and have like a binary: is this person in the test? Yes, no. Um, and then it's really all in your in your hands, and you can you know turn this on, turn it off um, by a quote unquote switch of the code. Um, and then you're not sort of paying for a, a third-party tool to manage that. Um, so I've seen success in, in both cases. Um, I don't really have a strong preference one way or to another. Um, Optimizely is great um, if you need to be scaling up and down relatively quickly or, or making changes to those user groups. Um, but if you're just trying to do you know, a hard split in, the half, in half, for example, um, I think back at Rollerplazs are pretty, pretty successful there.
0: I'm I'm a little bit familiar with um, optimizely but amplitude is uh, new to me as a name. Um, what is um, amplitude's uh, purpose? how do you use that in your your process?
1: It's my love my my love tool <laughs> um, amplitude, it's it works very similar to um, Google Analytics if you've used that in the past um, you can put um, basically behavioral tracking on clicks on views on a variant A myriad of of events in your product. Um, And the interface allows you to make um, either funnel and conversion analyses, or you can look at um, frequency of events. A lot of fun slicing and dicing in there. Um, You you get a lot of things for free. So if you want to, I don't know, split by country, for example, that's data that they will pull in um, on their end. It's not necessarily stuff that you need to hard code and pass forward. Um, it's just, it's, I almost, I think about it as like Google analytics with a much prettier interface, um, and, uh, and some more functionality, although that may be cause I haven't, um, I haven't gone too far into the weeds with, uh, GA.
0: Okay. So, yeah. I'll mm-hmm. have to, uh, play around with that. That sounds. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll
1: give you a demo. <laughs> yeah.
0: That would be great. We'll, uh, we'll connect for that. Um, you're in this role and you've been building this team out um what does a a typical day look for you in your role and i know it typical is uh almost never <laughs> used <laughs> when it comes to these these uh sorts of thinking about your days in this this sort of environment but what are the kinds of things that you're responsible for over the course of let's say a, a week or what what typically i'm going to keep saying typical what what typically comes up over the course of a day for you
1: would it be fun if I responded with, it depends? Oh. I'm just kidding. Locker, um, yeah. <laughs> no, um, so this role at this company is is a new role in general. So I would say that for me specifically, I'm really building the foundation of things that should be in place with sort of a larger product team. So things like product release planning is something that we're starting to get into um, that process has been relatively loosey goosey. So we're at this place that we are now just trying to make that into more of a formal um, ironed out process that works for all of the departments here. So things like that, um, lots of connection from a, um, a strategy perspective um, and figuring out where our product is, is going to go in 2019 and 2020, who we want to be, who we want to aspire to and, um, so I'd say almost 50 to 60% on the strategy side. And then um, I'm lucky enough that I still get to do 40% um, on the data side of things. So still pretty heavily involved in um, the data analysis and data science um, world of things, um, again, because we don't really have that um, a dedicated person to do that here. So um, I get to do a little bit of both, which is exciting.
0: Yeah, and, it's and, nice you to know, the, the uh, keep it fresh.
1: <laughs> for sure. And uh, you know, outside of that it's, you know, we've got a team and making sure that the team is is a well-oiled machine and and working well and that we are all feeling um productive and and enabled to do our jobs appropriately. Um it's the the standard response but important.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um and You said you've got a a team of uh, product managers there and um, I imagine they're responsible for different areas of product or different surfaces within the product. Um, How do you go about splitting responsibility uh, between your teams so that they're working effectively, not stepping on each other's toes, delivering value, et cetera?
1: Yeah, we've tried a couple of different uh, splits. So when I first joined, we were organized um, the way that I'm used to, actually, which is you know, acquisition, activation, retention. Um, that then migrated to acquisition, sort of took on a second responsibility of growth and and providing our marketing team with some additional support there. Um, we did find, however, that that split because we are a marketplace um, definitely caused a lot of skewing towards um, one side of our marketplace um, which is is probably pretty standard when you've got buyers and sellers and your sellers are the ones let's say that are paying you a commission it's it's pretty simple or, or obvious that you you end up skewing most of your resources to the sellers and then your your buyers you know no one's no one's giving them any love or any any attention on their side of the experience so, um, we've recently split into, um, in our terms, host and fan um, so that we're really ensuring that we have one PM who is is really focused on that fan experience and, and trying to optimize there while um, we have a different PM who's working on on the host side of things.
0: Okay, so they're now responsible for sort of more from a user persona perspective that start to finish path so that things are consistent for and delivering value to, to that actual either host user or fan user. Um, and what do you feel like would be an area that you'd like to be spending more of your time on? Where, where do you feel like wouldn't it be great if you, you actually had three extra hours in your day every day and you could focus a little bit more on X?
1: Um, I I would probably say if I could spend more time on the enablement side of things and being a little bit more um, hands-on in the individual teams and just sort of being an extra set of eyes and ears and hands, especially um, with the data side of things, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my answer. No. <laughs> Let me think of that one. I'll come
0: back. No, that's, that's good. Yeah. I mean, it's um, being able to be involved is uh, certainly high, high leverage. So if, if it was possible to get, get more into that, that, that certainly makes sense. Um, you've got a, uh, a few PMs who are reporting into you. What, what are the things that um, you like most to see out of them? What's, what are some exciting things that you've seen out of your team that you hope to see, uh, see more of in the future?
1: Yeah, we've got two, excuse my language, really kick-ass PMs here. Um, both of which very passionate, both of which really fight for the user. And the thing I like most, um, about both of them and frankly, any, anyone else on the in product that I've worked with in the past is this is a, is a get shit done type of attitude. Um, I think when you're working in, whether that's a startup or, or a, a smaller org, um, it's really important to just be open to wearing numerous hats and getting your hands dirty and getting your, you know, if you find that you're passionate about something in particular too, to go down that route and, and fight for what you believe in. Um, and I find that the PMs here are really, really good in all of those areas. And I think it inspires both the teams that they're managing, but it also inspires the rest of the org, um, up and down and across. Um, yeah, that's can't say enough good things about about the PNs here. I really can't.
0: It's nice to have that excitement out of them, and uh, it sounds like sense of ownership over over what Absolutely. they're doing, and they they care about the the value they're they're delivering. Um, have you um, seen things? from people in the product space and and not necessarily talking about universe and want to be really clear that this isn't something that we've, we've set up. I haven't asked you about this uh, beforehand. <laughs> <I'm>
1: nervous <now. laughs> um,
0: Are there things that you've seen in product that you feel like shouldn't be owned by product or you see somebody in a PM role or a PO role who's doing something where you're like, ah, oh, God, I wish I wish they understood that this isn't part of product, that this is a hat that is supposed to be worn by sales or engineering or marketing. What are, what are the things that are sort of the pet peeves around this? This really shouldn't be under the under the product umbrella that you've seen.
1: Oh dear. I don't want to put my foot in my mouth at all here. Um, it's it's tough because I think, as the product manager or product owner, again, going back to to smaller org, um, I think being involved in and in helping out even if it's not something that lives historically under under product, um, I think that it's a good thing, um obviously to to an extent, so long as you're still able to to do your job there. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing. I think the The pet peeve or the challenge comes if, if somebody on the product side is, you know, stepping in to help out, um, a different, a different team perhaps. Um, and that just sort of takes over and, and, um, as a result, those people who have that get shit done attitude become, um, taken advantage of, I would say it's probably a pet peeve, but, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't have a, a particular a particular item that I'm like have a hard line in the sand of, of no, you can't do that kind of thing.
0: I think that's fair. And I, I kind of like that, that answer to it because it, it sort of leans towards that everybody's going to come into the role with their unique value um, where they've come from a specific background where they just might understand some area a little bit more and be able to contribute a little bit stronger in some area or another as long as they're... Taking care of the core responsibility of uh, what they need to do in product, but they're still as as you're saying wearing that get shit done hat and they're moving things forward and out the door in a way that's valuable and um, delivering to the uh, the user and helping the uh, the overall organization move the needle on the um on the right uh, metrics then then that's that's good to have that flexibility so
1: yeah absolutely and i would I'd almost argue um, not um, the, the pet peeve would almost be the opposite. Um, playing too too much by the book, you know, living in a box and responding with um, no, that's not my job or I'm not interested. Like I don't want to be involved kind of thing. Um, I'd almost argue that, that I find more, I have more challenges with, with that type of a mentality.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, I feel like that's the right answer for almost anyone. It's <laughs> like be, be a team player. Um, and uh, if, you are like, certainly you, you've got to take care of the things that you're responsible for because not doing that is going to let the team down too. But if you've got the opportunity and the knowledge to jump in and be excited about another area and be a little bit broader and build that bridge, why not? That's uh, <laughs> a, a good way to be going about any role. So I think that's, uh, yeah, makes sense. Um, I I'm always a big fan of asking people about uh, sort of what's helped them grow in the PM space and formulate their, their practice. Um, Do you have any resource or resources that um, you've, you've leaned on um, over the years or still do today uh, to help you get to where you are as a product manager or product manager leader?
1: Yeah. So I would. In the beginning, um my biggest resource was actually those around me. um I was mentored and inspired by um some some leaders in in the product space um when I first started and um i don't I don't want to give their names just to respect their their privacy but totally um, fair
0: yeah <laughs> the,
1: um what they gave to me was the the gift of ownership and the gift of sort of dropping me into, to product in a way that was, you know, the world is your oyster. I'm here to guide you if you want that. Um, But I have confidence in you to figure this out. Um, So not so, not a micromanaging um, type leadership style, but really guidance and, and helping, me to grow and and nourish my own skills. Um, And I would say that that has continued actually um, here as well. I find um, in general, I feel very inspired to grow and learn new things and and accomplish things um, based on on my my managers and those around me. Um, From a a physical resource that I can share with others, um, I've always used um, the Lean Startup as my guiding book, um, not that I follow it to the T, I certainly do not follow it to the T, um, but the mentality around, um, you know, small iterations, measuring, learning, switching paths if need be, um, but remaining very, very lean while we do it um, has always sort of been a guiding factor for me. So for anyone listening, um, if you haven't read The Lean Startup, I would highly suggest that you do so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's an excellent book. And I, I like the idea also definitely as um, finding that mentorship um, and, and having strong leaders around you as as a key part of just the, the method for growth. It's uh, finding people who know more than you to help influence and guide your practice. But it sounds like even in that formal environment where you were reporting into them, it was having that, I guess, luck of um, – having mentors who were going to give you the space to be able to grow and try things and fail and um, actually figure out what works and what doesn't work, but be there to guide you along the way is, uh, is great to be able to have um, as, you're, as you're building yourself up in the space. So it's uh, finding that or looking for that if you don't have that uh, with your own environment sounds like a, a good Good piece of advice. <laughs> so it's uh... yeah,
1: I'd I'd argue um, there's you know a, a million books and a thousand podcasts, and I think they're all helpful in their in their own ways. But when it comes down to it, um, you as a product person are going to take little bits of pieces of all of these different resources, and then you, in the end of the day, are going to come to your workplace and are going to need to find a way that is going to work in your specific work environment with your specific team and the individual personalities on your team. Um, so I don't know I'm a, I'm a big, I don't want to say learn on the job type of person, but um, regardless of, of what you're reading or where you're reading it or listening, um, I think that there's a, there's an element of internalizing that content and then it's, it's really on you to, to grow and change it and adapt Um, to your environment. And and I think that's where that um, the people around you and and your mentors really, really come in and help you shape that.
0: And I'll I'll agree with that sort of thought around learn on the job. I I like it from the perspective of every role is going to be different, even if it's got the exact same title and got the same job description as you go into a new organization, the needs are going to be a little bit different. And there's going to be a gap. And it's um, sort of leaning into what that gap is and recognizing that and, and looking around for leadership on, on how to build up the muscles in that specific area is is going to be unique to the environment. And you'll you'll find those little pieces along the way to sort of build strength and build those competencies as you, you move forward. So I think that's, um, that all makes sense Um, Jess, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat about your your practice um, as director of product and uh, data and universe. It's been uh, extremely insightful and um, I'll I'll definitely link over to uh, The Lean Startup so that everybody can find that book.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks again. Thanks again to Jess for joining us today on the podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more, please remember to subscribe wherever you're listening. And if you have a chance to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, that really helps with the show's discoverability for new listeners. So that would be extremely appreciated. And we'll be back with another interview again soon.